Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 8. And on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Leviticus, taking one chapter a night and seeing what we can learn from it. And uh, tonight, we find ourselves in chapter number 8. Uh, we'll start in verse 1 there. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons. I want you to notice the phrase there, Aaron and his sons. Aaron is about to become the high priest, and his sons are about to become priests. And the Bible says here, the Lord tells Moses, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. I want you to keep your place there in Leviticus chapter 8. And just flip back with me just real quickly to Exodus chapter number 28. Should be just the book right before uh, the book of Leviticus there. Exodus chapter number 28. And look at verse number 1. Exodus chapter number 28 and verse number 1. Exodus chapter number 28, and verse number 1, notice what the Bible says here. It says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons. So notice again, it's Aaron and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, excuse me, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's son. So in Exodus 28, uh, Moses was given instructions in regards to how to basically commission, ordain Aaron and his sons as the high priest and the priest. And then in Leviticus chapter number 8, we're actually going to do that now. We're going to follow those instructions. That's what's going on. And in, and in uh, Leviticus chapter 8, what we find is uh, we find that this chapter gives us the steps required for the commissioning of an Old Testament priest. Now, obviously, the Levitical priesthood no longer applies today. But there are some things that we can learn from this chapter. And in fact, keep your place there in Leviticus 8 and go with me to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. It should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter number 1. I'd like you to notice something uh, interesting about that. Revelation chapter number 1. And look at verse number 6. Revelation chapter number 1. And verse number 6, the Bible says this, And hath made us, now the us there is referring to New Testament believers. Notice what he says. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible teaches, and here's what I want you to understand. In Leviticus 8, we're about to see the commissioning, the ordaining, the instructions given for how to set up an Old Testament Levitical priest. But here's what I want you to understand. In the New Testament, the Bible says that he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. So in the New Testament, there is no Levitical priesthood, but there is still a priesthood, and it's you and I. As New Testament believers, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you, are a new, you have been made a king and a priest. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 2. Let me show you just a little bit more about that. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 
1 Peter chapter number 2, and look at verse number 5. If you go backwards from Revelation, you got Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and look at verse number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and verse number 5. The Bible says this, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, notice this phrase, and holy priesthood. All right, he's talking to New Testament believers. And he says that we have been built up, not only a spiritual house, but in holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. All right, now keep your, uh, actually you can lose your place in First Peter. Go to Hebrews chapter number seven, just real quickly. Hebrews chapter seven, we'll get back to Leviticus here in a moment. Hebrews chapter number seven. I want you to understand, you say, well, how, how is it that you and I are, uh, are, are, are priests today as New Testament believers, because in the Old Testament, you have to be a son of Aaron. You have to be of the a descendancy of Aaron, a Levitical priest. Uh, how does that work in the New Testament? Are you there in Hebrews chapter number 7? If, you, if you're there in First Peter and you go backwards, you're just going to go past the book of James into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 7, and look at verse number 11. Hebrews chapter number 7. And look at verse number 11. Notice what the Bible says. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. Now he's saying if, if, if the Levitical priesthood would have had perfection, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. So here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, the priests were after the order of Aaron. They were the sons of Aaron, which was, he was a Levite, which is why the book is called Leviticus, which is why they are Levitical priests. Look at verse 12. For the priesthood being changed. People have to, like to say, oh, there's no changes between the Old and New Testament. Well, the Bible very clearly says that there's a change right here. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. The law has changed. Now, did he say that we throw away the entire law? No. He, he said the law has been changed in the aspect of the priesthood. So do we follow the Levitical priesthood today? The answer is no. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change uh, also of the law. For he of whom these things were spoken pertaineth another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, sprang out, out of Judah, and which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. And, if it, uh, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. All right, so that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made a priest under the order of Melchizedek. And here's what I understand. You and I tonight, being in Christ, are priests of the order of Melchizedek. We're not Levitical priests. Many other things were done away with in the Old Testament law. The priesthood being one, anything having to do with the tabernacle, anything having to do with the sacrifices. But what I want you to notice is that there are some correlations between the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament priesthood. And I want to show you uh, those tonight uh, um, if, if we can. Go back to Leviticus chapter number 8. And let me just give you some correlations uh, between the Old Testament Levitical priesthood and the New Testament, um, the New Testament priesthood and I'm, I'm trying real hard to figure out how I can, how I can like squeeze in Sam Gipp 
into tonight's uh, Levitical sermon, and I'm, I'm not, I'm just drawing a blank, so I may just talk about it at the end, all right, if I can't figure out how to, how to squeeze it into Leviticus chapter 8. Look at verse 6. Let me show you these, um, these, these correlations between the Old Testament priest, the Levitical priest, the order of Aaron, and the New Testament priesthood um, of Melchizedek. Notice verse 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons. All right? Those are the priests. I want you to notice the first step. Because this is, they're commissioning them. They're starting their ministry right here. Notice step number one. And wash them with water. The correlation between the Old Testament priests and the New Testament priests, the first correlation, if you'd like to write this down, is that there is the cleansing of the priest. There is the cleansing of the priest. See, they had to be washed. And notice what it says. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. They didn't wash themselves, but Moses washed them in order to prepare them or to commission them as uh, Levitical priests. Go to the book of John. We're going to be going back and forth a lot tonight, so just kind of get ready for that. Go to John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Because remember, we have been made kings and priests. Unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are part uh, of the priesthood, not of the Levitical priesthood, but of the priesthood of Melchizedek, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to understand. There are some correlations. In the Old Testament, the Levitical priests had to be washed. The Bible says that Moses washed them with water. John chapter number 13. Look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says about the disciples. John chapter 13 and verse 4. There's a, there's a picture here or a correlation. John 13, 4. He, that's Jesus, riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towels wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Notice what it says. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So look, in order to become a Levitical priest, you needed Moses to wash you in order for you to be a priest. But here's the thing. In order to become a New Testament priest, you have to be washed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And I, I love Peter in the Bible because, you know, he's just a real, he's a character. You know what I mean? Because he's, he's telling Jesus, you know, you're not going to wash me. He's always trying to be, you know, here's Peter. He's a lot like, you know, fundamental Baptist. He's ultra spiritual. You know what I mean? I mean, he's telling Jesus like, oh, no, you're wrong. You're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Look, if Jesus wants to wash your feet, you just let him wash him, all right? And you always got these ultra spiritual people that want to figure out what you're doing wrong, you know, and, and why it's wrong. But then Jesus says, hey, if I, if I wash thee not... Thou has no part with me. So then notice our, our, our great character, Peter, which I like Peter. I'm not bagging on him. I just think he's funny. Look at verse 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he goes from like, don't wash my feet to like, well, why don't you just give me a sponge bath? You know, it's like, just wash all of me. And notice Jesus' response. You got to, you know, and you got to imagine that Jesus... He just knows how to deal with Peter. Maybe he's rolling his eyes a little bit. Luke verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed, he is not safe to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, 
but not all. He's like, your feet's enough, all right? I'm not going to sit here and wash your entire body. He's just trying to give a picture, an illustration. Look at verse 11. For he know. For he knew, excuse me, who would betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. Talking about Judas. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was sat down again, he said unto them, know ye not what I have done to you. Now, go to the book of Acts just real quickly. Acts chapter number 22. You're there in John, so it's just the next book over. And because you may say, well, Jesus never physically washed me. Okay, but that's just an illustration. But I'll show you what that pictures, the illustration that needs to come from it. Acts 22 and verse 12. Acts 22 and verse 12. We have the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Acts 22 and verse 12. The Bible says this, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me. So this is Paul speaking. He's giving his testimony of when Ananias, of when Paul got saved. And by the way, Paul did not get, get saved on the Damascus road. Nobody gets saved through some experience. You know, the charismatics today, they want to tell you, oh, when I got saved, there was this light that shined, and there was this, and there was that. And I, I think most of that, I think all of that is, is made up. But here's the thing. There really was a shining light when the Apostle Paul was on the Damascus Road. There really was a voice he heard. There really was all of that, but guess what? He didn't get saved. Because everybody gets saved the same way. You don't get saved by some sort of spiritual experience where I just felt all tingly and I just felt all great. Notice what Paul says about his own salvation. Look at verse 13. He says, He came unto me, talking about Ananias, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. Because remember, Saul had been blinded on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him. Notice verse 14. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest uh, know his will, and see that just one. That's Jesus. Jesus appeared to Paul, or Saul, but yet notice, he didn't give him the gospel. He sent Ananias. Because that's how the work of God is done. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And should us hear the voice of his mouth, look at verse 15, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Notice verse 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Notice what he says. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So how did, when did Paul get saved? Well, he got saved the same way everybody else gets saved, by calling on the name of the Lord. Amen. And notice, the idea here is not that he got baptized and washed away his sins. The idea is that he washed away his sins by calling on the name of the Lord. Now, of course, he's being told to be baptized because that's what people should do when they get saved. They should get baptized. The best thing for someone to do is to call on the name of the Lord and be baptized that same hour. We find that throughout Scripture. But the water doesn't wash away your sins. It's the blood of Christ. It is the salvation that happens in your heart when you call upon the name of the Lord. So here's what I want you to understand. To be an Old Testament priest, you had to be washed. But guess what? To be a New Testament priest, you have to be washed. And by the way, they didn't wash themselves. Moses had to wash the priest. And you know what? You don't wash yourself either. It's Jesus who has to wash us. It's Jesus. We wash away our sins through calling on the name of the Lord because he washes away our sins because we've been sanctified through him. So we see the cleansing of the priests. Both of those things are done for the Old Testament priests and for the New Testament priests. But let me give you a second correlation. Go back to Leviticus chapter number 8. 
Leviticus chapter number 8, look at verse 7. Leviticus chapter number 8 and verse number 7. Notice what the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 7. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with a girdle. It's referring to like a belt. And clothed him, I want you to notice those words, clothed him with the rope. So he puts a coat on him, he puts a girdle on him, he puts a robe on him, and put an ephod upon him, and he girded him with a curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith, and he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate, the urim, and the thummim, and he put the mitra, that's uh, like a hat, upon his head, also upon the mitra, even upon his forefront, and then he put a golden plate, a holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. So I want you to notice the first, the first correlation we saw was the cleansing of the priest. But there's a second correlation that we see, and that is the clothing of the priest. The priest had to be clothed properly. They couldn't just walk in to do their priestly duties wearing whatever, doing whatever. There were certain clothes that were made for them that they were required to wear. Go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 22. Same thing for New Testament priests. Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 9. Look, look verse nine. And again, these are all correlations about salvation. So we're not physically talking about the fact that you're given, uh, given you know, a certain clothes. You know, we're not like Mormons where they give you, you know, the magical underwear that you're supposed to wear, right? You know, the Mormons, they have to wear this underwear. They're not allowed to take it off or something, you know, and it's like they have to wear it in order or they're not good Mormons. If you don't think, if you think I'm lying to you, look it up, okay? We're not talking about that, all right? This is just a picture. Matthew 22, look at verse 9. Matthew 22, I don't know a lot about their magical underwear, right? So if if somebody's going to walk up and say, no, actually, they're allowed to take it off, I don't care, all right? (laughs) It's weird, all right? Magical underwear is weird. Matthew 22, look at verse 9. Matthew 22, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Here's a parable that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving, but he's, he's, it's about salvation. It's about going to heaven. Matthew 22 and verse 9. The Bible says this. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. All right? That's soul winning. The marriage is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to happen in heaven. And he's commanding them, hey, go into the highway. That's why on Thursday, we're going to have a group that goes out into the highways. That's why on Saturday, we're going to have a group that goes out into the highways. That's why on Sunday, we have a group that goes out into the highways. That's why virtually every day of the week around here, we've got people going out, knocking doors. Why? Why? What are we doing? We're, we're inviting them to church, yeah. But you know what we're actually doing? We're inviting them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're inviting them to heaven. We're trying to get them to come to heaven with us. He says, go ye therefore into the highways, as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. Notice verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found. And, and don't miss this. Notice what he says. And gathered together all as many as they found. Don't miss these four words. Both bad and good. Notice being good doesn't get you into the marriage. Being bad doesn't restrict you from being married. It's for everyone. He says, look, if they're good, they're bad, they're religious, they're they're not religious, it doesn't matter. Everyone needs Christ. Everyone is invited. He says, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Now when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not, notice, a wedding garment. On a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. 
Then said the king to the servant, Bind them hand and foot and take them away and cast them into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. If you remember from last week, from Leviticus chapter 7, we saw that picture of the skin. Remember, they took the burnt offering, but the priests were allowed to keep the skin. And we saw how that was a reference back to the book of Genesis, where God uh, sacrificed an animal, and he took the skin, and he made coats for Adam and Eve. It's the same idea here. The priest had to have specific clothing that they wore as Old Testament priests. But you know what? As New Testament priests, we have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ also. Obviously, this is just a parable. This is not a literal uh, story. No one's going to accidentally get into heaven and God is going to be like, whoa, you're not wearing the right clothes. Kick him out, okay? Obviously, it's a parable, but here's what he's saying. You've got to have the right clothes to be a, a New Testament priest. You've got to have on the right, the wedding garments. Go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. Last book in the Bible, again, should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter 6. In heaven, we literally are going to wear certain clothes. Revelation chapter 6. And by the way, if you, if you read Leviticus 8, and if you read the book of Exodus, and you read everything that goes into what the priests wore, because what, what were the priests? They were the spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel. They were the ones that were leading the nation spiritually. Of course, there was prophets as well. But, you you know, a lot of the prophets were priests themselves. And here's what's interesting. When you go into and look at everything that they were supposed to wear and all the directions that God gave them, you know, does it seem like God cares what they're wearing? It seems like God is very interested in what their leadership is wearing. And today you've got, you know, people that'll teach, it doesn't matter what you wear, we can just be all casual, let's just be like Rick Warren, you know, Rick Warren walks into church, a Hawaiian t-shirt, shorts on, flip-flops, hi, I'm Pastor Rick, hey look, it matters what you wear. It matters who you represent. When I stand up here, I'm representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the New Testament doesn't give us directions and say, you got to wear a tie, you got to wear this, you got to wear that. But here's what I think. I'm just going to put on the best clothing I got. If it, this is the best, you're looking at, this is the, this is the best it gets. All right? I, I can't look any better than this. I was born ugly, and I just do the best I can with it. But look, this is, this is the best I've got, so that's what I wear. Now look, if the best you got is a collar shirt and khaki pants, then great. Praise the Lord for it. But especially when it comes to leadership. You know, let's, let's never go into this idea where, oh, the pastor can just get up there in his graphic tee and his little tight jeans, you know, and just, you know, be all casual. Does it, it doesn't seem like God wanted the priest to be casual. He wanted them to look nice. And these guys look nice. I mean, you could tell a difference. You could tell who they were. Revelation 6, look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. And when he had opened the fifth seal, now this is referring to the end times, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, all right? That's called the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to preach against Sam Gipp right now, but again, these people are all confused, you know, and in their minds, this doesn't exist. The fact that people, that their souls of them that were slain, why were they slain? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord? 
Holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? These people are being persecuted. They're going through tribulation. They're going through affliction. And they're saying, aren't you going to avenge us? And of course, God says, we're going to have to wait. But look at verse 11. I just want you to notice this in verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. So in heaven, you know, they, do, they are going to give you white robes. They're going to give you robes. And it was said unto them, and they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also. And their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we're just looking at the correlations between the Old Testament Levitical priest, the New Testament uh, uh, priest of the order of Melchizedek, which is you and I. What have we seen? Both had to be cleansed. And both had to be clothed. Now, of course, we are clothed spiritually. They, are clothed, uh, they had physical special clothes, but the, the correlation is there. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8, let me give you the third one. There's four, four that I saw in this chapter. We saw the cleansing of the priest. We saw the clothing of the priest. Let me give you the third one. The third one is the consecrating of the priest. The consecrating of the priest. Now notice what happens in the Old Testament. Leviticus 8 verse 10. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein. Okay, now he's not anointing uh, he's not anointing people or living things. He's anointing, at this point, inanimate objects. He's anointing the tabernacle itself, which was a tent, and all that was therein, and sanctified them. Look at verse 11. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. Look at verse 12. And he poured. Okay, so I want you to notice, when he's doing the inanimate objects, he's just sprinkling them. But now he's going to get to Aaron. And notice what he does in verse 12. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. All right. Now the oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Remember when David was anointed to be the king of Israel. Uh, when Samuel anointed him and poured the oil upon his head. The Bible says that at that moment the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And you'll find throughout the Bible that the oil and that anointing is a picture of of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to look at it here in a second. But go into the book of Psalms, just real quickly. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And in Psalms, go to 133. In Psalm 133, you have a, a psalm that's only three verses long. But it's, it's referring back to Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 12. Because we just read about the fact that Moses poured the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Well, Psalm 133 is a psalm about this event. Notice what it says. A song of degrees of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now we're going to come back to that verse here in a moment. But notice verse 2. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon, and as a dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life. 
forevermore. Now, I want you to notice here, we're given a description of the anointing of Aaron's. And I want you to notice, when Aaron was anointed, it wasn't just like they put a little oil on his head. The Bible says, look at verse 2 again. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. I mean, they, they drenched this guy in oil. They, had, they, they just kept pouring and pouring, and it came all the way down, ran down his beard. I mean, it went down all the way to the skirt of his garment is what the Bible says. And you say, well, what is that picture? And here's what that picture is. Because the, the, the oil represents the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what I want you to understand. When you got saved, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But, but, to get the full power. See, you can be sealed with the Spirit, but being sealed doesn't necessarily mean you're filled with the Spirit. And here you've got the priest, and he say, how much do you want? Enough to get sealed? No, no, no. I want enough to get drenched. Go to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. There is a difference. And one of these days I need to just preach a whole series, probably on a Sunday night or something, about the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between the sealing of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. The Bible says, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth. He says, in whom ye also believed. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are sealed until the day of redemption. We are sealed. He is our inheritance. We get all that, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily filled with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has came upon you. It doesn't mean that you're walking in the Spirit. But, but let me just show you before I even get, a, get too far ahead of myself. Go to 1 John chapter 2. I want you to notice how the anointing is a picture of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, you got the book of Revelation, you head backwards, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But ye have an unction. That word unction is translated later on in this passage as anointing. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Look at verse, look, just skip down to verse 27, just for the sake of time. But the anointing, that word anointing, same word as unction, same word translated there. Which ye have received of him abideth in you. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, as is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. See, the Holy Spirit is what teaches us the word of God. The Bible says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. The reason that you and I can open up the Bible and understand it, the reason we can open the Bible and it's real clear to us, uh, you know, that what the Bible says is because of the fact, it's because of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit of God. And because the Holy Spirit is what teaches us and guides us in all truth. And by the way, let me say this. When someone obviously just doesn't understand, when someone just is not, I'm not talking about deep theological doctrines where, where like, you know, it's real complicated, you know, you're looking at the dates, of Daniel's 70th week. I'm not talking about, but you just got some basic doctrinal things in the Bible. It's real easy to understand. It's real easy to grasp. And somebody's just not getting it, not grasping it. That's a very good sign that that person's not saved. And that's where Sam Gibb comes in. Go to the book of Philippians. (laughs) Philippians chapter number, Philippians chapter number two. Right now, Sam Gibb is preaching like this whole conference against Pastor Anderson and against our movement. And last, I think it was last night, I'm not even sure because I wasn't, I wasn't watching, I was watching it today, right before we came to church, and he, he mentioned, he mentioned me, and he didn't say anything negative about me, 
which which you know which I appreciate I guess. But but I just want to I want to explain to you like how this guy works, okay? Cuz here's what he does. He'll take he'll take stories and then he'll just he'll tell you the story but he won't tell you the entire truth. Exactly what he's like accusing us of doing. Cuz he tells a story where he called me, right? Cuz he wanted to he wanted to be able to call to get a hold of Pastor Anderson. So he called me. This was back in the days when I used to answer my phone. You know, before Orlando, now I just have someone else answer the phone, right? But, you know, he called me. But here's what he doesn't tell you in his story. He doesn't tell you at the first time. He doesn't even tell me who he is, right? And he doesn't, and then he's like, because he's trying to mock me, right? Or he's trying to mock us. And he's like, oh, I, I call Pastor Manus. And he tells this group that he's, that he's talking to. He's like, so what do you think he's doing as soon as I hung up? He's calling his cult leader. Okay, well, here's what's funny about that. Uh, you didn't get a call back, which is why you, you called again. I mean, watch the video. He tells you, so I called again. Why'd you call again? Because you didn't get anything the first time. And then the second time, he's like, you know, can I please talk to Pastor Anderson? Can you please get a message? And here's funny. He's like, oh, so I, you know, these guys are all, uh, you know, I call him and he's going to call his cult leader. Yeah, you call me begging me to get him the message. And it's your second time calling me. And look, I'm busy. I'm not an evangelist. I don't get to preach the same seven sermons everywhere I go. I've got to actually study and write new sermons. So I'm like, look, quit calling me. Yeah, I'll get him the message. But does he tell you that in the story? Where he's just like calling and he's like, and I'm like, who is this? You know, because he's like, can you please, here's my phone number. Can you please have him call me? I'm like, why don't you just call him yourself? He's like, he won't answer my calls. I really need to talk to him. Here's what he said. I'm a preacher who's interested in learning more about this subject. Isn't that deceiving? And lying. But does he tell you that in his little, you know, conference? No. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. He, te- he tells, you know, he talks about the fact that we believe that the book of Revelation is divided in half, which we do believe that the book of Revelation is divided in half. But obviously, chapter 1 and chapter 12 don't correlate together. We understand that the first four chapters of the book of Revelation have to deal with a letter that the Lord Jesus Christ is writing to the churches in Ephesus, and the prophetic part of the book doesn't start till chapter 5. So it's real misleading to tell the thousand people you're preaching to, chapter 1 doesn't correlate with chapter 12. Well, of course it doesn't. The, pro- the prophecy doesn't start in the book of Revelation until chapter 5. And, you know, so he, he says these things, but he's not telling the full story. But here's the big thing. So in his sermon, and, and, and I'm, I'm bringing this back to the fact that people who can't understand just normal, basic Bible doctrines aren't saved. Because in his sermon, he talks about how in Matthew chapter 1, or in fact, let's just go to it. Go, go to Philippians, but go to Matthew. He talks about the fact how in, in the book of Matthew... Matthew chapter number, look at verse uh, 22. Actually, look at verse 23. Matthew 1 and verse 23. He says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And notice how the word Jesus there is in all capitals. So here's, so, so here's Sam Gibbs, you know, story on this. He's like, well, his name was supposed to be Emmanuel. But Joseph is defying the angel 
and just refuses to call Jesus Emmanuel because the new Emmanuel means God with us, being interpreted God with us. So he just calls him Jesus. And he even says, you know, imagine the angel coming down and Joseph saying to him, yep, he was born. Oh, what'd you name him? Jesus. And the angel's like, you're supposed to name him Emmanuel. And then he talks about the fact how no one's going to call him Jesus in heaven. No one called him Jesus before. You know, it's not the name Jesus. Now, here's what's ridiculous about that. I mean, it's ridiculous on, on many levels. Number one, look at verse 21. Here's where he's being given the prophecy. He's being told to take his wife, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name. You see that word in all capital letters? Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Okay, so he's already been told to call him Jesus, number one. So shouldn't you be able to, I mean, you've been preaching for how many years and you can't understand that? I mean, you're going to get this whole doctrine. No one should call him Jesus. We're not going to call him Jesus in heaven. No one's going to refer to him as Jesus. Are you there in Philippians chapter 2? Look at verse 9. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. No one calls him Jesus. It was a mistake. Joseph and Mary are just, you know, being rebellious to God. They gave him the name Jesus because it means Jehovah's saved. Because they didn't want to admit that he was God in the flesh or some weird thing like that. But here's the thing. Why did Jesus just allow everybody to call him Jesus? Amen. Why did all the apostles call him Jesus? Why did the apostles in the book of Acts said that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? Referring to the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 9. Notice what it says. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What name is that? Well, look at verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me ask you a question. When is that going to happen? Is everyone just bowing their knee at the name of Jesus? No. When is this going to happen? End times. It's probably, I, I think it's going to be the great white throne because we're all going to be there. And at that point, look, your little atheist evolution garbage is going to be out the window and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know what they're going to call him? Jesus! Amen. And you got these preachers out there and they come up with all these crazy, and I'm sure people are sitting there taking notes saying, that's amazing! That's not even saved. Amen. You don't have the Holy Spirit unction. I mean, you, you could have read the verse like right before you got into the false doctrine. You obviously never read the book of Philippians. You obviously never read the book of Acts. You know, look, when people don't understand just basic things from the Bible, I mean, was that complicated? Is it complicated? Is it complicated when in Matthew chapter 1, the two times the name Jesus shows up, he even puts it in all capital letters? Doesn't that kind of stand out a little bit? You know, is that real complicated? But here's what I want you to understand. People who don't understand just basic Bible doctrines aren't saved. Amen. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They're, they're just, they don't get because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're, they're fool, they're, 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 it's foolishness unto them. And that, you just show them basic things. You show them Revelation 6. Look, all these people were killed. When you said that they were going to be delivered out of the great tribulation, he doesn't come until the next seal. And they're like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's like, look, you're not saved. You don't understand it because you're not saved. That's why you don't understand it. All right, let's go back to our sermon. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8. So we have the cleansing of the priest, and you have the clothing of the priest, and you have the consecration of, of the priest. 
And look, you say, do you hate Sam Gibson? No, I just want to get him saved. I'd like to get him saved. I'm not, you're laughing, I'm not laughing. I, I think it'd be good for these guys to get saved. I'd like to, go, you know, we'd like, we look, there's, here's the problem with fundamental Baptists, with the independent fundamental Baptist movement. It's filled with a bunch of unsaved people. You got a bunch of morons out there telling people, you don't have to call upon the name of the Lord. There's just this one, two, three, repeat after me, which is not what we do. We believe in being thorough. We believe in people showing that you're a sinner, that you deserve to go to hell, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that once you have it, you can't lose it. But here's what you got in the fundamental Baptist world. One, two, three, repeat after me, and one, two, three, repent after me, and all of those people are not saved. That's why they don't get it. That's why they don't understand it. And the sad thing is that most of them are being led by these priests that do not have the anointing. They've got spiritual leaders that don't know what they're talking about because they don't have the proper anointing. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8. Look at verse 31. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to skip a bunch of the verses from... If you notice, we, we, we skipped a bunch of verses in Leviticus because he goes into the detail of the sin offerings and the offerings that he does. We've covered that over the last seven weeks, all the, all the uh, offerings. So I don't think we need to cover that tonight. We're just going to deal with the priest part tonight. Look at verse 31. And Moses said unto Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and there eat it with the bread, that is in the basket of the consecrations, as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons shall eat it. So we saw the cleansing of the priest. We saw the clothing of the priest. We saw the consecration of the priest. Here's number four, the communion of the priests. Notice that they were to eat together. In verse 31, it says that they should boil the flesh and there eat it with the bread. At the end of verse 31, shall eat it. They were supposed to fellowship together. And here's what's interesting. Go back to Psalm 133. Remember Psalm 133 was all about the anointing of Aaron? Well, notice what's mentioned in that psalm. There's only three verses. Notice verse 1. Psalm 133 and verse 1. A song of degrees of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He talks about the fact that we are to dwell together in unity. Why? Because the priests were supposed to get, dwell together in unity. In fact, at the end, of, in the end of this chapter, in Leviticus eight, they spend seven seven days in the tabernacle, sacrificing animals, eating them, fellowshipping together, being together. And here we're told, "Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." Go to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter 1. See, I wasn't just taking you to Philippians to rip on Gip. Um, there, there was actually a, a reason why we were going to Philippians. I should have told you to keep your place there. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 3. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. The Old Testament priests were supposed to dwell in communion. They were supposed to fellowship together. And the New Testament priests, guess what? We're supposed to dwell in communion and fellowship together as well. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. Why is he thankful for them? Why is he praying for them? Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The Bible talks a lot about fellowship, and I won't go through all the verses, but the Bible teaches, look, a big aspect of the Christian life is coming together in fellowship. 
He says, for your fellowship in the gospel. And it has to do with us being united. Because remember, he said in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Go, go, go to, uh, you're there in Philippians 1, look at verse 27. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Notice what he says, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, we often will emphasize that last part, for uh, the, the striving together for the faith of the gospel. But notice that you cannot strive together till you first stand together. He says that you stand fast. In one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you know why a lot of churches, uh, will, they won't have, I think, what do we have, 70 soul winners on average out every week, you know. For our church our size, we had 160. We have between 160 and 170 people here on Sunday morning, and we've got like 70 of them out soul winning. You say, well, how does that happen? How do you get people to strive together? Here's how it happens. We first stand together. We, we love each other and we fellowship together. I mean, I, you, I, don't, I don't know if you know uh, about Verity Baptist Church. Maybe you're the type of person that just kind of shows up right before the service and leaves right after the service. But if you show up here a couple hours before the service or an hour before the service, guess what you're going to find? People fellowshipping together. Amen. I mean, they're here before I'm here. And you say, why? Because they love each other. And you know what they do afterwards? They stay. And we got to, like, turn lights off, you know, and, 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 you know, oh, it's getting late, you know what I mean? And it's like, and you say, but why does that happen? Look, but here's the thing. If the service ended and just everyone just left, that'd be a very unhealthy church. Amen. And nobody wants to fellowship. No one wants to stick around. You know, but people here love each other because, you know what, priests are supposed to come in communion. And don't be that person who just kind of shows up five minutes, you know, you show up two minutes after the service starts, you leave two minutes before the service ends. That's not, that's not being part of a church family. And by the way, that's what's wrong with these online, I'm thankful for everybody that watches online. I hope a lot of people are watching on live stream tonight. I'm sure they're, you know, we've got people watching. And, and if they're just watching because, uh, because you know, they, they, they're in a different time zone, their church is already over and they're just getting more church in, hey, praise the Lord, that's great. Amen. But if you're, if you're watching online and you're skipping church, that's not church. Amen. Because part, probably, I would say the most important part of church I shouldn't say the most important, but definitely a, a major part of church is the fellowship aspect. And it's not just the fellowship like the coffee and donuts. It's the fact that we get to know each other and we get to love each other and we pray for each other. And when you're missing, someone notices and, and, they're, and they're worried about you or they're excited for you or they want to help you. I mean, we got guys that are playing basketball on Saturday. We've got people meeting here and meeting there. Hey, that's great. Because that's what a church is supposed to do. We're supposed to commune together and fellowship. And notice, these priests were communing together. So we saw the cleansing of the priest and the clothing of the priest and the consecration of the priest and the communion of the priest. Let me give you two thoughts just as we finish up. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8, look at verse 23. Just two quick thoughts, real quickly. Leviticus 8.23. Notice what was expected of the priest. A couple things. Verse 23. And he slew it, talking about the sacrifice, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the, notice what he does, put upon the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. Say, what's that about? 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think, I, I, you know, a lot of these things that they do in the Old Testament, we're not really sure about. But here's what I think. I think he's bringing attention to certain parts of their body because he's trying to explain to them, hey, you're a priest. You represent God on this earth. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song in church. We sang a song, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. And we go, oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And we sing that, and you say, well, what's that about? Look, you are a priest of God. You were made a king and a priest unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It does matter what you listen to. It matters the music you're listening to. It matters what you let into your eyes. It matters what you do with your hands. It matters where you go with your feet. You're representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the priest... The, the, the attention is being drawn to these different parts of their body because I think he's trying to explain to them, hey, you're a priest. And if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's, let me give you one more and we'll be done. Look at verse 30. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 30. Notice what the Bible says, Leviticus 8, 30. And Moses took of the anointing oil. Now, what was the anointing oil? It was the Holy Spirit, right? It represents the Holy Spirit. And of the blood. What does the blood represent? The sacrifice. It represents Christ. Which was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his sons' garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And I want you to notice, he didn't just take the blood and sanctified him. And he didn't just take the oil and sanctify him. Look at verse 30 again. Moses took the anointing oil and of the blood. See, here's what most Christians want. They want the blood. So I, I want to be saved. Give me the blood. But then we tell them, okay, well, now that you're saved, God expects you to walk in the Spirit. God expects you to live a separated life. God expects there to be a change. You know, there doesn't have to be a change in order for you to be saved. But God desires that you grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Now, let's anoint you with some oil. And they're like, I don't know about that. I just want the blood. But look, you get the oil and the blood. God wants both. He wants to save you and sanctify you. He wants to save you and he wants to consecrate you. And I thought that was interesting that they, they said, look, what, which, what, which one are we going are, are to do first or which one are we not going to do? He said, no, we're going to do both. We're going to anoint you with oil or we're going to anoint you with the blood. Because God wants us to be growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these chapters where we can learn from your word, Lord. And I pray that you would just help us to, to realize that we are priests today. We have been given a royal priesthood. We've been made kings and priests. And Father, I pray you'd help us to, to act accordingly and to represent you accordingly in this world, to be ambassador, ambassadors for Christ. In your precious name, I pray. 